0: a video of a church service uh, hit the headlines and went viral. So you may have seen it, I don't know. It was a, a video clip of a church servant <coughs> viral. So uh, the video filmed kind of this picture here, the front of a church. And so you, maybe you can picture it with me if you haven't seen it. In the frame, you had the front of the church, and you had on the wall at the, the back here this jihugimus cross so there was a cross on the wall and it was massive huge cross on the wall and in front of the cross you had a worship band and they were giving it stick okay so you had the cross on the wall in front of it you had the guitarist you had the bassist you had the drummer giving it everything he had so what happens in the video why did it go viral well all of a sudden the cross moved all of a sudden the cross gave way the, from its fixings, and thankfully nobody was injured, the cross fell forward and obliterated the drum kits. And so lots of people were, were sharing this online humorously, I think, to point to God's perhaps disdain at the use of drums in worship. So I will leave that to you to see, to determine whether that is uh, what that video was all about and what was happening. Is it not the case, though, more seriously, that that video there could serve as a metaphor for something else? Could it not be true that the cross is in danger of falling from the church in the modern world? Can it not be the case that the cross is in danger of coming loose from its fixings in the devotional life and the worship of the people of God... I want us to think about that for ourselves. What about us in here? Are we at LCPC? Are we really wrestling with the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ as we walk through our Christian lives? Like I say to you, propitiation, justification. I mean, do those terms immediately just bring forth praise from the hearts of the people of God? Is that the case? Are, Are you and I just so absolutely captivated and enthralled by what Jesus Christ has done at Calvary, that you and I just can't help but tell other people about that redemptive work. Does that sound like us? Or, in actual fact, is the cross in danger of falling at London City Presbyterian Church? Well, this morning, we're going to continue our sermon series in the book of Numbers. You heard that right, if you're visiting the congregation this morning. Our sermon series in the book of Numbers. And I have to tell you, I'm just desperate to get into this sermon this morning because okay this is a chapter about Levites and it's a chapter about the high priest and so forth but in this portion of scripture we're going to learn about the ancient people of God of course we are we're going to learn about ourselves as the modern people of God the reason I'm so excited about this is this morning God points us to Calvary In Numbers chapter 3, in the details we will see, in fact, throughout this whole chapter, what God does is he takes us by the hand, he drags us along, and he points us to the cross. So, can I ask you to please turn with me to Numbers chapter 3? We're going to all need uh, scripture in front of us. So even the boys and girls, if you're doing your worksheet, you can also have one eye on scripture. So let's get to Numbers chapter 3. I'll give you the page number. It's 100 and. Ten am I right? Yes, numbers three chapter sorry numbers chapter three on page one hundred and ten, and the first thing that we 're going to think about just now is devotion to the priest, so if you 're taking notes, get it. devotion to the priest is the first thing that I want us uh, to think about, okay, right, Where are we? Do we know where we are in numbers three? can can we think about it for a second where are we we are camped aren't we with the people of Israel and we're in Numbers 3 we're preparing to make a journey from the foot of Mount Sinai and to travel all the way up to Canaan to the promised land and if you were here last week you can remember what we saw last week do you? We saw the arrangement or the organization of the camp, how it was structured, didn't we? And we saw something about the Levites as well. So the Levites were, what would we call them? Tabernacle servants. Is that what they were? Levites, do we remember? They were the guys who had to care for, carry, and what else? They had to camp around the tent of meeting. Do we remember this? David agreed. I need more than David. Encourage your minister. Can we remember what? We look, do we remember the Levites from last week? Yes, Andy. We remember vividly what we looked at last week. Okay. As we come in in Numbers chapter three, I want you to appreciate that we are. This is crucial. We are given new information about the Levites. So there's new information that's dropped on us here. So you need to look at it. Look at verse six to see the new information. Can you find verse six? You see, God says, bring the Levites, the tribe of Levite, near. Set them before Aaron, the priest. Set them before Aaron. And look at the next bit. That they may minister to him. So do we see how that's new information? So these Levites are not just in charge of the tabernacle. And they're not just protecting the people, as we saw last week. What are they to do? They are to serve the high priest." So if somebody asks you, as bound to happen this week, what did the Levites do? You can say to them, the Levites were people who were assisting the high priest. They were devote, they were working with servants of Aaron the high priest. Okay, now, if we're going to understand that, that element of their job, I think what has to happen is you and I have to be clear in our minds about what the high priest did. So can I ask you, how are we on that, do you think? As a congregation, the role and the function of the high priest. Are we good on this stuff? Let's start with what we know. Um, we know that this community was a bloody place. Don't we know that? Like every day, bloods of birds and bulls spilt. Why? Because these people knew something of their nature, didn't they? They knew they were sinful, they knew God was holy, and God had revealed to them what? that the only way that mankind can have any sort of peace with God was through sacrifice. Yeah? Now, let's build on that for a second. Who was it that gave the sacrifices? What would you say to me? You see, all the people were involved. Would you, in the sacrifices? But, ah, wait a minute, what else do we know? We know that it was only the high priest who was allowed into the innermost parts of the tabernacle, wasn't it? So the, t- the high priest goes into that holy place in the, in their movement, and he goes in as a representative of the people. Now I want to ask the boys and girls a question. So boys and girls, stop your worksheet. Have you been listening to me for a moment? Just, yeah. well, you, have you, you have to. You go, yes, dad. You have to be listening to me. Okay. Are we listening? Do you think that that was a dangerous job, boys and girls? The job the high priest? What do you think? A dangerous job? What are you going to go for? Approaching God in the innermost place. It was a dangerous job. Wasn't it? Like firing boys and girls. Stunt men. You know those guys that wash the windows in the outside of a skyscraper? They've got nothing on a high priest. Because what did we learn at the beginning of this chapter with Nadab and Abihu? Like if a high priest incorrectly approaches God where he dwells in the innermost parts of the tabernacle, what's the fate? What will happen? Death. Face the wrath of God. It was a dangerous job. So you with me at this point? What are the Levites to do? They are to assist and serve the high priest. Now that's important if we're going to understand the numbers and understand this chapter. But I don't think that that is the emphasis of this portion of scripture. I don't, you follow me? I don't think the emphasis is on what the Levites were to do. The emphasis is on... How the Levites were to do it. So look with me, friends, to verse 9. And parents, if you show your kids verse 9, it's important. Look at verse 9. What does God say? He doesn't say Levites have just got served. Look at it. You shall give, wow, give the Levites to Aaron. Look at the next bit. You read it on there. Do you see it in verse 9? They are to be, these Levites, holy given right do you see it do you see it now like such is the importance of this role as the high priest what do the levites do it's not just oh levites if you've got a little bit of time you know help aaron it's not oh, once you get your other work just help do you see it like these people have to be utterly devoted to the high priest don't they like there has to be this comprehensive commitment to Aaron. These Levites have to be serving in everything, given over in everything in their lives to the service of the high priest. Now, let me pause and catch my breath. I want to check that you're with me because I need to talk to you this morning about what is called typology. Do we know what typology is? Biblical typology. We've heard this phrase in the past, I'm sure. So typology is a way of understanding and reading the Bible. Typology is when we look at the Old Testament and we recognize that there are things in the Old Testament that exist there to point us to the Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone follow it. Things in the Old Testament, they exist to point us to Christ. I'll give you a couple examples. What about Noah's Ark? What's the the story of Noah's Ark really about? Do you see it's a type Christ? Type. It exists to point us to the Lord Jesus Christ as the only refuge from the coming storm of God's judgment. Isn't it a type of Christ? Or Genesis 3? Do we know Genesis 3? Surely we do. Remember that promise of that seed of the woman who's going to crush the serpent's head? Why is that there? Do you see that it's a type that points to the victory that the Lord Jesus Christ wins? Well, if you are new to church, I wonder if you are, I wonder if this is one of the first times you've been in a congregation like this before. If you're new to church, what I need you to appreciate right now is that what we're dealing with this morning, the role of the high priest is one of the foremost types of Christ in all of the Old Testament scriptures. This role, this function of the high priest, it exists in the Bible fundamentally to point you to the lord jesus christ as i stand up here in front of you i wonder do you recognize that, that the high priest points you to jesus do you i mean think about what happened at the cross what was happening there at calvary do you see that that there was a high priest work wasn't it christ jesus on that cross was fulfilling the role of the high priest you get it don't you Like you see that, yes, he was approaching God, but what was he doing? He was approaching God as a representative of his people, wasn't he? The mediator between God and man, high priestly role. Then you think about it, what was he doing in dying? What was he doing? Was he just making an offering on that cross? Don't you see it? There the Lord Jesus Christ was offering in himself the once and for all sacrifice for sin. That's why the cross is so exciting for us. That that there, the cross, was the sacrifice that all of these offerings existed to point us to. And we think about, well, why? Why does Jesus die? Like, what is the ultimate purpose of this death? And you think about it in high priestly terms. Do you see what he was doing as our high priest? He wasn't just securing for his people some sort of temporary truce. It wasn't just like this You know, armistice that passes away, not for a second. There, our high priest on the cross secures for you and me, Christian friend. Listen, an eternal peace, an actual peace, a deep-rooted peace with God. That was a high priestly work. And if you recognize that this morning and you're a Christian, do you not see from Numbers chapter 3 the challenge that God gives to you this morning? because wait a minute what are we to do if we're christians in here what is our response to beat the cross as christians what is it like the levites you and i are to be wholly given over to our high priest isn't that it isn't that numbers chapter three that like these levites the people of god today we are supposed to be committed we are supposed to be given over in everything dedicated laboring in everything everything our high priest and so if you are a christian i've got a question for you you see that there does that sound like a description of your life is it this just all-encompassing devotion to jesus this great love and service of your high priest does that sound like your life does it sound like my life friends if not surely what we do is pray immediately Surely even as I'm speaking to you just now, we pray and we ask God for grace. Don't we? We ask God to so change our hearts that we might be able to say with the Apostle Paul, to live everything, to live is Christ. Because I want to say this to you. I think we see in Numbers 3 one of the greatest needs that the church in London has today. We see in Numbers 3 the greatest need. What is that? the church desperately today needs 21st century Levites. It needs men, it needs women, it needs boys, it needs girls, it needs people who are wholly given over to the one who is our great high priest. So we see firstly in Numbers 3, devotion to the priest. Second thing that I want as to see here, we must recognize, secondly, substitution for the people. Substitution for the people. Okay, now, when I was in seminary, which was what was called the Free Church College at the time, seminary, so it was getting on for about 10 years ago. I remember still distinctly that I was given a number of pretty out there, uh, Ideas and rules for what you are not to do and what you are to do when you're preaching. Okay, the guy who was teaching me in seminary was the loveliest bloke you're ever likely to meet. He did, however, have some quite eccentric views and rules on preaching. I'm going to give you one. I think I've mentioned it before, but you'll you'll bear with me. So he he said, "There's under no circumstances whatsoever." Should a preacher ever mention football uh, from the pulpit? Never mention football. And he would, he would go on, you're allowed to mention rugby? You're allowed to mention tennis? You can talk about cricket to your heart's content. Never under any circumstances talk about football. Why? I like, Did his team lose the previous Saturday before he spoke? That's why I want to know, right? Never allowed to speak about uh, football. Now I want to be respectful to this man, okay? I do, but I'm going to find it really difficult because we need to, as we carry on in number three, we need to speak about substitution. And I kind of, you know, it lends itself, doesn't it, to a footballing analogy or two. So what am I talking about here? Well, we, you and I, need to get to grips with the context When we're in Numbers chapter 3. So I want to ask a favor of you just now. This is what I want you to do, everyone. Boys and girls, listen to me as well. So what I want us to do is keep one finger in Numbers 3. And then I want us all to turn back to Exodus chapter 12. So let's do that together as a congregation. So please keep your finger in Numbers 3. But then turn back to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus 12. As soon as you get back to Exodus 12, you look at it, you see the title, and you realise I know the story, because what is Exodus chapter 12? It's a Passover. I'm right, and I like. Come on, you know, come with me. Everybody knows the story of the Passover, right? Like uh, God is going to send the destroyer. It's going to kill the firstborn in Egypt. How are the people saved? People are saved with blood administered to the. Every, we all know it. We have the youngest child up the front here. They would be able to tell us the story of the Passover. Okay, we know it. Fine, great. We know it. Have a look now, though, at chapter 13, verse 2 in Exodus. So across the page, chapter 13, verse 2. Okay, do you see it? Let's read it. So God commands the people. So this is after the Passover. I think it's got commemoration, remembrance of the Passover in view. Look what he says. God commands the people to, wow, consecrate to him all of their firstborn. So I need you all to be with me at this point. Do you understand the significance of that? Like from this point onwards, from the Passover, the people of Israel were indebted to God because of his work. They owed God something. What did they owe him? They owed him their firstborn of and of their children. So their firstborn had to be given over, like specially dedicated, entirely given over to the work of the of the Lord. Do do you understand that? Consecrated. Now, you've got that. There's a reason I've got your finger in Numbers chapter 3. Turn back to Numbers chapter 3. We've got the idea of the special consecration and dedication. Numbers 3, verse 12. Verse 12. And imagine the joy from the mums and dads. Imagine the joy in Israel. Look at this. Numbers 3, verse 12. Do you see it? A staggering work of grace. What does God say? He says He's going to take the levites what's that beautiful those beautiful two words you see it instead of the firstborn like do you see what god is doing there like god is redeeming the israelites from their debt do you see it god is freeing the people from their obligation to him and how is he doing it He's doing it by accepting a replacement for the firstborn. Do you see? He's accepting an alternative. I've got to break those seminary rules, don't I? Like, do you see what's happening here? The people of God are leaving the pitch of indebtedness to God and they are being replaced by a substitute in the form of the Levites. Can you imagine the joy amongst the people? Now, at the start of this sermon, do you remember what I said at the start of the sermon, the cross falling? I said that everything in the book of Numbers here in Numbers chapter three exists to point us to the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe at the start of this sermon you might have been skeptical about that. Surely if you're a Christian, you're you're no longer skeptical. Because come on, what do we know is true? Like all humanity, we have entered into this world, and by our sin, what's our spiritual reality? We are indebted to God. You see the parallel in the correspondence? Friend, you and I are obligated to God. If we're going to have salvation, we're obliged to God, our righteousness, and it's a debt that we simply cannot pay. But what is this that we've been pointed to in Numbers chapter three? Surely you see the goodness of the good news. Do you not? Know what has God done? Listen to these words. Like in Numbers three, God has provided for us a substitute. Isn't that good news? Isn't it? Like to redeem his people and to free us from our obligation God has provided a substitute Wait for it Who's the substitute? His firstborn son His one and only son And it's astonishing, isn't it? This substitutionary work It's astonishing But isn't it all the more amazing when we in here consider it for ourselves what not you do, that Christian friends? I mean, what do you, what do you see when you look to the cross? What what do you, do do you understand when you see Christ Jesus hanging there? What what that was for you, Christian friends? What were those two amazing words here? Christ hung there instead of you. Isn't that amazing? I mean, Christian friend, you were the Isaac facing the knife. Your heavenly father and his wrath. And in a moment you were replaced by that righteous and holy ram at Calvary. I mean, doesn't it make your heart rejoice? No, you were the Barabbas. You, the one who was deserving, facing a deserved death because of your wickedness, because of your sin. What happens in a moment? There's an exchange. And there instead of you is a righteous and holy and perfect life. Christ was pierced for whose transgression? yours and he was crushed your iniquity and god made him who had no sin to be sin for you and in light of that that great substitution isn't it the case that our response should be the joy received from the people of israel shouldn't we shouldn't we praise god Because what happens in Numbers 3? What happens just now? The Lord God in these tabernacle servants, the servants being replaced, taking the place of these firstborn, you and I are being pointed to the great servant, the suffering servant, the one who redeems his people. And how? By substitution. He frees his people by his substitutionary death. So we see devotion to the high priest. We see substitution for the people. And the third and final thing we see here is redemption at a price. Redemption at a price. I think I'm open to the accusation this morning that this has been a bit of a bizarre sermon. Or even more bizarre than normal. Maybe you see what I mean. Despite the fact that we've looked at some of the detail in Numbers 3, I've said nothing about what the bulk of this chapter constitutes. There's somebody in this room who knows very well what the bulk of this chapter constitutes, and it's (laughs) our reader for this morning, Mr. Adrian Priest. If we were to ask him, what is the sermon, uh, this chapter about, he would say, wearily, it is a census. All these names and the numbers of the Levites, Okay. So this chapter, the bulk of the chapter, is a census. We get that? So I've got a question for you, sincere question for you to think about for a moment, just for a second. Why? Why does God count the Levites? Why a census? Why does he count the Levites? Why does he count the firstborn? Do you see the answer to the question? It's because this was not to be a vague but an exact substitution, wasn't it? Like, wasn't the idea that God sort of says, you know, just like, uh, whatever, really roughly, I'll just take some Levites for some of the firstborn. This exchange that we're just dealing with, it had to be really precise, didn't it? Like, this was a very exact, this is why God wants the Levites counted, He wants the firstborn counted, because it's kind of one for one, isn't it? It's a very, do you know what we could do with that? Be longer? Like, we could talk about Calvinist orthodoxy? For a moment you not think does this not support what we call definite atonement or limited atonement? You heard of that? The idea that the Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross did not just die for a kind of vague, morphous just group of people. He did not just die for for every everyone or whoever will later believe. What happened on that cross? You see the parallel? What happened on the cross that was that exact substitution? Wasn't there? There was precision in the work. Jesus Christ died for a set amount of people. Christ, Jesus died for the elect and died for his church. And we could, well we could go there, we could really get into it, but I don't want it. Because what we need to do, we need to address how God resolves the problem that the census throws up. And uh, as a minister, I would be, I would just love to know. How many people in the room got the problem in the census? I would love, I'm not going to ask you to do it, but I would love a show of hands. To how many people, it really tests how we listen to Mr. Priest when he reads God's word to us. How many of us in the first reading here recognize the problem in the census? Did we get it? I wonder, I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure we all got it, did we? If not, look at verse 39. Look at verse 39. I'm asking, look at the end of it. How many Levites are counted? Do you see the answer? So it's 22,000 Levites are counted. So we've got this exact change, and we've got 22,000. Look at verse 43. How many firstborn are there? Aha. There are 22,000. You see the problem now, don't you? If you hadn't before, there are too many firstborn. So there are 273 people who cannot be redeemed in this way by substitution. They stand still. They stand obligated to God. They are still 273 people. They are indebted to God. So, so wait a minute. Like, Do you see the gravity of the problem here for these people? So how is God going to resolve this problem? I, I just love it. I absolutely love it. Listen to me for a second. In the book of Leviticus... It is revealed that all of the people of Israel had a price upon their heads. Do you get it? All the people had a value attached to them. Does that sound weird to us? Think of it if you're a slave. Think of the grace in that. So if you don't have a price in your head in the ancient world, you're stuck as a slave. Do you see the grace? But if you're you're a slave and you have a price upon your head, what can you do? You can save your money. You can store up your money. And one day you can pay that price. You can pay your own redemption price. You can, you can buy your own freedom. And if you recognize that, like don't you see how marvelous the end of Numbers chapter three is? Because what's happening here at the end of this chapter, don't we see it? God is revealing to us his willingness to accept a ransom price. Isn't that marvelous? Do you see how high up Numbers 3 is? How important it is? Here God is willing to free the 273 people. He's willing to redeem them, to set them free from the obligation and God is willing to accept the price on their heads. Now friends, I know if you're a Christian, right now, you know exactly where I am headed theologically, don't you? But does your heart still not beat with praise within you? Is it not? Because what is our predicament as we come into the world? You and I as sinners all have had a price upon our heads. Isn't that right? We come into the world because of our sin, we have a valuation. Here's the problem. None of us can pay the price of redemption. Because it isn't a monetary value on humanity, is it? What is the price? It's blood. We have a price upon our head and it is the lifeblood of an innocent and perfect sacrifice that is eternally efficacious. And yet, what is the good news of the gospel? Why do we come to church? Why do we rejoice in God? What has Jesus Christ done for you, Christian friend? He's paid your ransom price. He's paid the price upon your head. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. In Christ, we have redemption. How? Through His blood. Our first Peter chapter one and verse 18, we were ransomed, not by perishable things, silver and gold. We were ransomed. How? By the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't this the reason that we can rejoice today? Even reading an Old Testament portion of scripture like this, we read this. What do we see? That the cross is special isn't it? That there was a high priestly work, that there was a substitutionary act, and why was the blood of the eternal Son of God spilt on the ground at Golgotha to pay our redemption price? We are freed forever and evermore. And I have to end this uh, sermon, and I have to end it with two appeals two appeals the first is for the people of God and those who are born again in the lord jesus christ listen to the appeal you and i have to work harder at ensuring that the cross of the lord jesus christ is central in our lives and in our worship because here's how it goes we just take our fruit of the gas we really do we rest on our laurels we think we're london city presbyterian church We are part of the Free Church of Scotland. We are a reformed congregation. We rest on that. And friends, we must not. We must take steps to ensure that the cross is central. Friend, you have to be reading more, studying more about the various aspects of what Christ accomplished at Calvary. And you and I have to teach our children more of the spiritual realities of the cross. Do you know what has to happen? We've got to read our Bibles better. We've got to read our Bibles and look for the Holy Spirit's teaching on redemption, on atonement, on salvation. We must not let the cross fall from London City Presbyterian Church. And then a second appeal is to those in this room who are not born again in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'd love to ask you this question. (laughs) Do you this morning, and I don't mean to be rude, But do you, this morning, recognize how preposterous your standing is before God today? If you're not a Christian, how mad it is. Like God tells you in the Bible, you are indebted to him eternally because of your sin. Then God stands over you this morning in the gospel and he offers to pay the price for you in Jesus Christ. And what do you do? By your unbelief, you reject that offer. I mean, is it not preposterous? Is it not crazy? You owe God. God offers to pay the debt. And by your unbelief, you say, no, I don't want you, God. I don't want Christ. I don't want the cross. I don't want your goodness. And I don't want your grace. If you see that, surely you understand my appeal to you. If the rest are to ensure that the cross does not fall, you today must fall before the cross. Because you must understand what God is doing spiritually. You have maybe come out of this room. This is maybe your first time in this place. You come to an obscure portion of scripture. But what is God doing? God is taking you by the hand this morning as a sinner. And showing you Jesus. Showing you Jesus. He's showing you. You need Jesus. Friend, will you not today see that? We not come to Christ Jesus and repent and believe for the eternal forgiveness of your sin. Friends, let's bow, let's pray. Lord, we pray to you, accepting our sin. We see, Lord God, that even as the people of god we do not work like the levites we do not have the commitment and the love for our high priest as we ought but lord as we read numbers three what strikes us most is the cost of it the cost of the substitution the cost of redemption it was not shekels it was the price of your own dear son Lord God, we rejoice in what has been done for us. Would you work amongst us that we might be ever more in the service of our Savior and Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.